G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. We're talking finance again today with... We'll start with a big picture of what's happening to economies both here in Australia and around the world and how that affects all of us. The family budget, or you might have a small business. Inflation figures came out yesterday, higher than expected, 6.8%. What does that mean? Energy prices, well, they are rising and expect wherever you are some sort of rise between 20 and 30% over this next year. The pressure is on, so we are concerned about how we navigate the family budget and any issue you'd like to raise today with Alex Cook. He's one of our key commentators and the founder of Wealth With Purpose. Alex is a former stockbroker. He's been a successful financial planner and he's the founder of Wealth With Purpose. His ministry is to help equip Christians to honour God with their finances by teaching sound financial skills. Alex Cook, a special welcome back to 2020. Thanks, Neil. Great to be back. Alex, let's start with a bit of a view of what's going on nationally here in Australia and things that are affecting us from around the world. Where do you start with a a bit of an overview of the major economic news? Mm. Well, probably the the two big ones that you just mentioned in your introduction are really the important ones because of their potential flow-on impact to Australian households and obviously listeners. Uh, And that was firstly the inflation figures that came out yesterday, and they were slightly higher than expected. Uh, 6.8%. Now, what that does that mean? It means year on year, so it's work on a year by year basis. Uh, prices are up 6.8%. Of course, uh, you always wonder how do they construct these things because it depends on what items in your budget uh, <laughs> are what you spend your money on will obviously affect where you're really feeling the pinch, whether it's rent or mortgages and so forth. Um, but inflation is obviously a big concern because it's going to be the major driver as to what central banks, and in this this case, the Reserve Bank of Australia, and the likelihood of them increasing rates, because obviously they meet next Tuesday. And so the probability of a rate rise has now increased. Previously, most economists thought they would bypass it, but it looks like they're going to probably, you know, the probability is increased, it'll go up. The second thing you mentioned uh, was energy and the energy regulators of Australia last week came out and said they expect nationally prices would go up somewhere between 25 to 30 um, uh, percent. Obviously, it depends on where you live, and of course, that was you know an election promise to bring prices down, but you know that was always a bit of a pipe dream, uh, if you ask me. But the bigger concern is actually more the longer term with energy prices because. Over the next, uh, well, between now and 2035, roughly 40% of Australia's current power generation is scheduled to close. And like we've just had the, you know, the Liddell one in New South Wales. So those sort of things, uh, we need good baseload supply of energy coming on 
to replace it so that we don't see these yeah. ever spiraling uh, energy prices. So they're, they're to me the yeah. big ones, and obviously they're going to affect household budgets. So inflation is higher than anticipated. Uh, energy prices are rising, and there's challenging times ahead for the power generation industry. And if you're in a small business, uh, you're recognising that. If you're going shopping at the supermarket, you're recognising that uh, those dollars that you're spending on your annual on your weekly shopping uh, uh, expedition are much higher than they have been uh, even just 12 months ago. All this means likely higher interest rates and higher interest rates, uh, more of a squeeze on household budgets. This is a challenging time for uh, for a lot of people, Alex. Yeah, look, absolutely. I mean, I think we're really seeing the temperature rise. Um, my uh, concern, obviously, is that we don't really know where interest rates are going to end up. Uh, at this stage, as I say, inflation's looking sticky, as is the term they often use. I it's saying uh, higher than they would like and not coming down as fast as they would like. Uh, and of course, therefore, the risk being that they keep putting pressure on interest rates. Now, the average Aussie has had a 50% increase in their mortgage repayments over the last 12 months. So that's a big flow and effect. Um, but now I think is the time to think, well, what do I do about it? How do I navigate that? And to me, the big thing that everyone needs to think about, given the more challenging season that we now find ourselves in, is how do you build margin into your finances? How do you protect yourself from some of this stormy weather? You know, is it you cut costs? Is it you increase your income? But how can you find ways to save more? so that you got yourself a buffer. So if things go up even more or you lose your job, you know, all these kind of things that do happen from time to time, what are you doing to protect your family household, I think is the question you want to address. Interesting, and listeners might have their own contribution to our conversation, but the Reserve Bank Governor is in the firing line. You might have noticed in some of the headlines because he came out yesterday and said, well, if you've got some difficulties at home and uh, the family budget's under pressure, uh, think of getting in a border, renting out a room. Uh, I think he even said, uh, you know, get, uh, get a second job. But coming from someone who's a wealthy Reserve Bank governor, uh, you know, that actually generates a little bit of ill will, doesn't it? Because oh, ordin ordinary absolutely. people who uh, who have someone saying rent out a room to help ease the, the pressures, we don't want to hear those things. And maybe he's getting the fiery well, brunt of it, and maybe not the government. But anyway, your thoughts here? Well, look, I mean, it's a ridiculous statement that he's made in that respect because, I mean, he earns roughly a million a year. He's the highest, I think he's the highest paid public servant in Australia, if not one of the highest. Um, so, you know, a lot of these people unfortunately can't relate to it. I mean, okay, it's all well and good to say have someone in your house, but that might not be possible for many people. <laughs> That's the first thing. And the second thing is, if you're like me, you've got a young family. There's all sorts of issues of noise and privacy and everything else. I mean, it's it's just an impracticality. Might be suitable for some, but we're talking about a small, uh, you know, small percentage. I would have thought. So it's uh, it's a naive statement, but I think reality is, I always take the view that listeners have to take the view of taking personal responsibility to saying, well, how do I and our family navigate through this? 
and, and take charge because we can't control what other people are going to do. And that's the reality of it. Alex, there's obviously going to be uh, concerns that may be raised today for those who are vulnerable, uh, where the expenses at the end of the week are outweighing uh, the revenue that's coming in. And uh, love to hear from people today who are experiencing a little tightness around the family budget. But the conversation today, I anticipate, is going to be all about different areas of finance and and there might be opportunities too that people will be looking forward to taking uh, when things get tough. Um, Interesting when we look at some of the economies around the world that are doing uh, things a little bit uh, tougher than we are in Australia. Any any just a a brief uh, overview here? Because we're... Uh, we are actually uh, vulnerable to international pressures as well. Uh, other nations, how are they going and how does that affect us? Yeah, well, look, I mean, you're absolutely right. Australia is certainly affected. And what's going on is is very much global. A lot of it's a result of obviously what happened during COVID with the massive stimulus and huge increase in money supply. So that's, you know, put a huge turbocharge, if you like, into the economy. And the other thing that doesn't get a lot of media attention is actually the impact of war. War is very inflationary and it has a big flow on effect to supply chains and so forth, particularly with all the sanctions going on around the world at the moment. So that kind of thing is inflationary. So it's a, it's a global thing. It's not purely uh, an Australian thing. Um, so in that sense, we are at the mercy of global activity. But the Reserve Bank has a very blunt tool and and therein lies the problem. You know, just pumping up interest rates isn't going to solve a, you know, a supply chain issue. It's, you know, it's it's too limited a tool. But if you look in Europe and America, they're both drifting into recession. Some economists are saying that they're already really in it because the thing with recession is you don't really know until the stats come out once you're well and truly into it. Um, But they certainly are drifting into recession. Australia hopefully may dodge it, and we're certainly very lucky with very low unemployment. And that's what's certainly uh, keeping the economy up. That's why the figures aren't too bad, and of course, why house prices are still, um, you know, turned seem seem to be heading back north. <laughs> A biblical perspective on life, culture, and current events. This is 2020 on Vision. Alex Cook is our guest. He is the founder of Wealth With Purpose, a former stockbroker, successful financial planner, and Wealth With Purpose is a ministry to equip Christian believers to honour God with finances, teaching sound financial skills. Our talkback line is open right now on 1-800-316-316. Before we take a call, Alex, I said let's do some practical things right up front. For those who are feeling vulnerable right now, the pressure is on the family finances or your small business. Uh, what are some things we can do right now, practically, uh, to help navigate the way forward? Yeah, so look, the first thing I'd say to people is you want to get clarity around your spending. So to me, you, you build a spending plan. Uh, people often more colloquially will call it a budget, but I think budgets make people cringe. So build a spending plan. Look at how much money is coming into your household versus how much money is going out. And the difference between the two is your surplus or deficit. Now, if you're in a deficit, of course, you've got a problem and you need to look at how you can cut back to get back into surplus. But if you've got a surplus, the question is how are you going to use that to go forward and and, and prosper? But once again, during during this spending process, though, you'll be able to analyse 
how you're spending money. Are you spending too much money on some things and too little on others? Um, so, for example, maybe your rent's too much and maybe you have to move or maybe, um, uh, you know, obviously there's all the extras that we often have in our lives, the subscriptions, all those sort of things. So you think, well, do I really need that? And so you can tighten up and make some changes. Now, it's never about becoming stingy. You know, you still want to enjoy life. Uh, however, the reality is, of course, for many of us, it's tight at the moment. And so having a spending plan will help you see where it's all going. And also look for opportunities to save money. Can I change retailers? Can I change here? What can I do to reduce and bring my costs down? Inevitably, this is about building margin into your life and building so you can start saving and put money aside for a rainy day. Uh, so that's really important. Alex, what about uh, if you're a homeowner, you've got a mortgage or you're renting? Uh, let's uh, let's stay with, uh, you know, people who've got a home loan. They're looking at those interest rates rising. Uh, practical thing here, what can you do? Yeah, so to me, the very important thing, if you've got debt of any kind, is to have very debt repayment plan. So you want to work out what are all my debts, what are the interest rates I'm paying on each of those, and then look at your budget and say, okay, how much extra can I start paying off these debts so I can start chipping away at them and get rid of them early? Because the, the more you can pay off that debt you know, quickly, the less interest you're going to pay. And interest is dead money, especially on debt and especially on things like credit cards. So look at your debts, work out which the order in which you're going to repay them and have a very concrete plan as to how you're going to use your budget to pay down those debts. Uh, for homeowners where, you know, you've probably watched your interest rate rise dramatically over the last 12 months or perhaps uh, you've got a home loan where the fixed period's about to mature, uh, there are a lot of deals on at the moment for mortgages. It's very competitive. So it could be a good chance to refinance your home loan. And if you're very nervous about higher rate rises, because of course no one knows where it's going to end up, um, but if you are concerned and you can't afford too much more of a rate rise, then maybe you need to look at fixing again to protect yourself from further rate rises. Um, and that's a call that you have to make because at the end of the day, no one really knows where rates are going to go. Um, but they're the kind of things you can do to start protecting yourself and uh, and really building, as I say, building margin and looking at how you can start saving money in the future so you can get ahead. Okay, we're taking calls 1-800-316-316. Let's take some calls. Steve is in Parks in New South Wales. Hey, Steve, welcome along. Yeah, good day, Brother Neil uh, and Brother Alex. God bless you both and all your callers that ring up. Uh, I wanted to thank you through uh, Christian Radio for helping me to keep the faith and soldier on because you do give up and you do get down. But what I wanted to ring about is something uh, that seems to be long forgotten in this country, To you know, like we're seeing rising uh, home loan interest rates, but another pillar to the economy, if the, 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 the two great political parties can only put heavy emphasis on the resurrection of manufacturing, we start making stuff again. In the, in the 60s and 70s, we had thriving manufacturing. And you, you reach a point, Brother Alex and Brother Neil, where you start producing more than you're consuming and the exports can kick into the economy, which would add, like we've got mining and resources and the massive contribution made by farming. 
Okay, but Steve, manufa- well, let's, let's deal with manufacturing with Alex. Uh, Alex, this is an area and uh, perhaps, you know, it's connected with what we're talking about today as we're getting a grip on what's going on. Uh, here's an economic uh, challenge that's been put there by Steve and I think we all recognise that manufacturing has slowed or stopped in so many uh, parts Ooh. of our economy. Uh, thoughts here for Steve? Yeah, well, look, whilst I share his same uh, disappointment that it's, you know, it's just become a tiny, tiny part of our economy, uh, because with that, to me, there's two big issues. Firstly, there's a massive loss of skills. There's manufacturing to, to do it, to do it well. You know, you need engineering skills and all sorts of things that is really disappearing from our, our country. So I think that is a concern. But related to that, I think, is the, the national security concern that this causes where we just don't have the ability to manufacture a whole range of things. Now, in saying that, the question is, is it realistic to assume that it's going to come back? Uh, and, and if it does come back, is it going to come back and hire lots of people or is it going to be a lot more automation? Um, the problem for Australia is it's a very high cost country from a labour perspective. Uh, and so it's probably, I think, fairly unlikely that it's ever going to really take off here. Plus, Australia's highly regulated and over-regulated, and we have very expensive energy, as everyone knows. So all those factors combined make a return of manufacturing to Australia, I think, improbable as disappointing and, and, and probably wrong as that is. I think we need more balance in our economy. And just from a security perspective, I think we do need manufacturing. But I can't see that happening with the uh, issues going on. Well, Steve in Parks, thank you so much for your call, uh, raising a very important and challenging issue. We're taking calls, one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Let's take a call from Melinda in Warwick in Queensland. Hi, Melinda, welcome. Hi, how are you? Very well, Melinda. What are your thoughts? My thoughts are there's a few things we can do. We can say, well, the government needs to... X, Y, Z, but the reality is is um, <clears throat> we also, in this, as a community, need to start looking at where we throw on our money when we do spend it. It's, um, in Warwick, we have a really good community and we've set up a community market garden and uh, in it, um, all sorts of people are encouraged to come down and we also, um, like, and it's, and it's, like for me, like I have a small um, backyard, but in my backyard I've got orange trees, um, not orange, sorry, mandarin, lemon, lime and uh, grapefruit. Now I've just uh, picked a, a bucket load and I'll take them down and um, sometimes I can just exchange them for the other veggies that I need. Sometimes I end up giving them away. But Melinda, you're, you're raising just a fabulous insight here because there is a community that can rally and recognise oh. needs that are just there with directly with our neighbours. Alex, what are your thoughts here for Melinda? Uh, to be honest, I think she's hit the nail on the head in terms of uh, one of the best ways to navigate through challenging times, especially in those kind of areas. Um, it, to me, it's a fabulous opportunity because, A, and it's an opportunity for the church because this is a way we can love people and help our community around us. So it's a, it's a wonderful evangelism opportunity, but it's a great way of tangibly helping people through. But I think that... I think with the way the world's going, a move back to that smaller community working together 
is perhaps where it'll be forced to as economic pressures really start to bite. So I think it's great. And the fact that you're thinking like that already uh, is great. In fact, I'm actually doing the same thing. I'm, I'm actually in the process of building a chook shed, which is try, try, <laughs> which is try, which is uh, testing my woodwork skills. <laughs> but, but, and that's about building that resilience and so forth. So uh, I, I think you've hit the nail on the head. It's, it's a great thing to do. It's teaching people also skills that I think have largely been forgotten. Uh, let's be honest, the average uh, city slicker wouldn't really know how to raise food or, or do any of those things. So communities doing that and helping each other out. And I think this is an ch- opportunity for the local church also to bring people together, to help people out um, and become the, the centre and hub of helping people. It would be brilliant. Alex Cook, I think it would be good for us to just keep taking calls, if that's good for you. Uh, let's hear from Cindy, who is in Benalla in New South Wales. Hello, Cindy. Welcome along. Hello. Uh, i got two questions. One's about house insurance and one's about saving on sewage on your water bill. Um, um, when I signed up, they did a start and end date and that was for one year and that ended six months ago, but they're still taking money out of the bank every month. Am I still covered if I need to make a claim or do they say it ran out um, so we don't need to pay you? Uh, one of those things, uh, isn't that a pain, isn't it? When uh, you're paying an insurance premium uh, and you've stopped your insurance premium payments but they're still taking your money. Uh, let's tackle that one first. Alex Cook, your thoughts for Cindy? So, um, yes, yeah, so I was just trying to understand the question there. So the, the insurance, you've put a stop on it, but they're still charging no, I didn't, you? I, no, the, no. They... They, when I saw, when I signed the house papers through the bank, they said I need uh, to have okay. insurance, and they did insurance, a yeah, they that, that was for one year, for one year. And when it ran out six months ago, uh, they didn't sign, send me any papers. They just kept taking the money out. But because there was an end date, it, what does that mean, Alex? Yeah, so so generally when you've got a loan, it's a requirement of the bank that the house is insured, right? That's generally a, a term and condition. So I suspect that the insurance is still probably going if they're, they're still charging it to you. However, you'd probably be able to swap. So if you can find a different, like the, the bank's usually not too concerned uh, which insurer you use. So if you can find one that's better value and then provide that certificate of currency to the bank so they stop charging for, for the one that they're, seem to be charging you for but it's certainly it's a condition of bank loans that the house is insured all banks will force that before settlement and and on the net it says you don't really need to have insurance it's not legal you don't have to have if you don't want it and i thought great i'll I'll put the hundred dollars towards the house in um payments because you know but mum said don't do that see but the the reason why yes it's yeah, so usually the bank, as I said, requires it as... as yep, Alex. Yeah, so, so usually the bank requires it. And the reason for that is say your house burns down and all of a sudden you can't pay, the bank then doesn't have a house that they can sell if it's, it needs to be rebuilt. So that's why they insist that it's insured. So that way if something happens they've, and, and you can't also pay the loan, the house is still insured if something happens to it and then they can replace the house and so forth. So it's it's generally a condition of the loan. 
as I say, they, they usually require it before they even settle the loan. It has to be in place. Yeah. So it doesn't surprise okay. me they're still charging. But if you can find a better deal and provide them yeah. with that certificate of currency, I mean, to me, it's important that you insure anyway, just because of all the risks well, these days, um, whether it's fire, flood, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. yeah. So I, I did phone elders, but they said they're going to charge me the same and cover the same. So I didn't find anything better. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So do uh, I just yeah. sign up with make do I is there somewhere better? Uh, look, I, the only thing I would say, and it's important, there are aggregator sites, but you can shop around. So if com, they may may do comparison. But there are a lot of comparison sites, but just shop around, see if you can get a better deal based on the same level of cover. The bank will require mm-hmm. a certain degree of value though on on the house. So you, you just got to comply with whatever their terms and conditions are. So I'd call the bank first and say, what's the criteria that we have to satisfy? Uh, Very quickly, Cindy, you had a second part of your question around water rates. I was reading my water bill and on the back of the water bill, it says I pay $60 sewage. And I'm thinking, you know, because I go on the net, I search for things and I'm a gardener. So I got this giant compost bin, I got four of them. And I thought, you know, why don't I just tuck it in the compost bin? It's just me living here, so it's not going to build up too heavily. And I've been doing that since January and I'm thinking I could save $60 a month and put it towards the house bill. <laughs> Is that a good idea? Because they call it humus, human manure. They feed the worms in the garden. Alex? Yeah, look, I, I think compost is a great idea, gardening, but uh, in terms of uh, getting it removed from your water bill, I, I'd give them a call and see if that's something that they would uh, consider. I, I do. I've never, I've never actually thought it through, to be honest. So I don't think I could give you a great answer, to be honest. Cindy, thank you so much for your call. One eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen to join in our conversation. Let's keep taking calls. Uh, let's hear from. Katerina in Adelaide. Hello, Katerina. Welcome. Oh, oh, sorry. Um, I was just wondering um, about um, my parents heard about this pay $1 a day on your, I don't know if you know about this, Alex, but where you pay $1 a day and it supposedly reduces your interest because it resets the uh, balance every day, but I have. I, I'm not sure about it. It sounds a little bit odd. I mean, I can see how it, it might sounds... work. But when you when your interest to me, when your interest that you're paying is so much higher, I I, I don't know whether it resets it. Yeah, you know, I don't actually, know. Can you actually, no, Alex, no, what are your thoughts here yeah, for Katarina? Sure. No, if if I've interpreted what your parents are suggesting, it's actually a very smart way of reducing your interest. So essentially what they're saying is by paying a dollar a day or what's that per month, 30 or $31 extra a month, you're reducing the principal on your loan and therefore by default, the interest bill will be less overall. So what essentially, it's basically a good kind of budgeting strategy. Essentially, you're increasing your loan repayments by a dollar a day. Now, in practical terms, you might be doing it. If you pay your home loan, depends if you pay your home loan weekly, fortnightly or monthly, you're going to pay it through that. But nonetheless, it's a, a good, simple way. And conceptually, it's a great idea because essentially you're reducing the principle of your loan a little bit quicker. So often, if you go to a mortgage broker, uh, when they when you take out the loan, they'll say, do you want to pay monthly, fortnightly or weekly? And typically it's better to pay weekly because you're uh, 
paying more of the principal off in effect and hence paying less interest overall. You'll, you'll pay off a weekly loan quicker than you'll pay off a monthly loan. So that's where the strategy idea is coming from, from your parents, I think. So it's a good idea. Katerina, thank you so much for your call. 1-800-316-316. If you'd like to interact with Alex Cook, let's take another call. Shane is in Williamstown in South Australia. Hi, Shane. Welcome. Yeah, morning, Neil. Morning, Alex. How are you? Good. What are your thoughts, Shane? Okay, I've got a couple of questions for Alex. Um, one, is mortgage interest and business loan interest calculated into the inflation rate? Alex? Sorry, first part again. Is your mortgage... Is, is our mortgage interest and our business loan interest calculated into the inflation rate? So the, the, they're basically, in terms of how they're calculated, is the bank is setting that, but they're setting it against the cash rate. So if inflate, so inflation affects it, right, in the sense that it, it's a driver of the reserve bank making the decision. So if inflation no, rises... and That's not what I'm yeah. asking, Alex. What I'm asking yep. is, does the RBA and Philip Lowe calculate the mortgage interest rate hikes and the business loan interest rates hikes into their calculation for their inflation rate. Ah, oh, okay. Sorry, are they including it in there? Uh, it's a good. It's a good question. I don't know the actual makeup, and that's where I think you should be slightly <laughs> sceptical, because obviously the inflation basket, right, of goods and services, so rent, mortgages, the whole the whole bit, and uh, you don't get told what's unless you really go and look for it you're not going to get told what's making up the basket and so is the basket really effectively uh reflecting what's actually going on so yes they would be included in their thinking but what percentage of it i wouldn't have a clue as to how much they're factoring in wouldn't have a clue shane you had another one let's be quick what was your other question um well, I noticed on the on the news last night that it was uh, 6.8%. And most of the, the items that they did highlight were discre- non-discretionary purchases like fuel, food, etc. So if the um, interest rates for business loans are calculated into that and people like a supermarket or a bakery have got a mortgage on their business, they've got a business loan, and they then have to pass that on to consumers, isn't Philip Lowe and the RBA causing uh, inflationary spiral by raising interest rates all the time? Alex? Uh, no, no, I don't think... But putting rates up is not causing... Uh, causing the spiral itself, if that's what you mean. To me, the, the, the real drivers behind uh, inflation are predominantly the government policies that underpin it. So whether you look at the energy policies, that's having a huge effect. Uh, I think the war is having a huge effect because it has supply chain issues. So there's a whole range of things that are going into causing it. But then also, let's take the immigration policy. So we're bringing all these immigrants, which is driving up rents, and rents is a part of the inflation mix. So that's also pushing into inflation. But then the Reserve Bank is trying to solve that problem through uh, interest rates, which it, it can't do. It's too blunt an instrument to solve each of those issues. What you actually need is the federal government to change its policies that will actually reduce inflation. And that means changing energy policy, means changing um, 
uh, immigration policy. But it seems to me that the federal government would rather pass the buck and blame it on the RBA than uh, the other way around. So it, it's it's a challenge. And I think I feel for the RBA. I think they're between a rock and a hard place because they're trying to control something with a very blunt instrument. It's not possible to do. Shane, thank you so much for your call. And uh, we'll take some more calls. Let's take another call Henrik is in Perth, WA. Hi, Henrik. Welcome along. Uh, thank you. How, how are you? Good. What are your thoughts, Henrik? Um, it just—it seems to me it's a bit sad that it seems to to me that many Australians actually fail to see what the real problem is. And the real problem is that, in my opinion, as long as we have Labor and Liberal in government, you know, things are never going to change. Um, there's a there's a very small party that's growing very fast at the moment called Australia One. The leader, um, um, Henrik, uh, you, you just cut out there. Say that again. Yeah, the, um, there's a very small party in Australia called Australia One Party, and the leader of that party, Ricardo Bossi, um, according to his calculations with the economy, then Australians actually don't need to pay more than two percent expenditure tax, and if they're paying that, then the economy will still be thriving and doing well. But because Australia is sending millions and millions of dollars overseas for only God knows what, that's why, you know, Australians have to pay so much tax. That's why everything is so expensive. And that's why they're increasing everything because they're making harder and harder for families to get by. Henrik, uh, that's interesting. And uh, Ricardo Bossi, uh, who leads the Australia One Party, uh, it yeah. takes a lot of minor parties and people who are agitating for different ways that an economy can be run. Uh, any thoughts here, Alex Cook? Yeah, look, it's an interesting one. Um, firstly, I fully agree with the first comment that Labor and Liberal, <laughs> uh, that, that if we keep voting for the same two parties, we can expect things just to continue down the same path. Both of them, even though they have different rhetoric, uh, at the end of the day, follow very similar policies. They're both very hell-bent on a big Australia, which I think, uh, whilst immigration is normally net positive, I think that that in itself is a, is a problem. The uh, That also has a negative effect, of, for example, on wages. Um, there's no meaningful tax reform from either of these parties. Uh, and the size of government, which I think is a real concern, continues to grow year in, year out. And so, and, and so government is crowding out the private sector and reducing the prosperity of the nation. Uh, so I think both parties, I'm not a fan of either of them. I, I think, as I say, the, the, the rhetoric and the policies don't match up and the policies are largely the same between the two of them. Is Ricardo Bossi the answer? <laughs> that's, a, that's a big debate. I'd probably, uh, I wouldn't be so, so sure about that. Uh, but nonetheless, we do, I'd love to see uh, a... A, a, a genuine alternative. And I think if you look at the primary vote for the two major parties, that is in decline. Like Labor got in to par Parliament on, what, 30% of the primary vote. So 70% of the population voted against them. So I think I'd love to see genuine change. And the other thing I would do is get rid of career politicians. You should only be allowed to have one or two terms at the absolute most, maybe extend the terms now. So there's a whole, this is a huge topic in terms of the kind of reforms we need, but we're certainly not going to get it with either of the two parties in power. Okay. Uh, Henrik, thank you so much for your call. Let's take one more call. Eugene is in WA in Perth. Hey, Eugene, welcome along. 
Hi, um, I was just wondering for Alex, the first question is that regarding migration, why can't we keep, when we, why can't we in, uh, have a smaller migration intake rather than a large influx of migration all over Australia that causing a real housing shortages in Australia, number one. And number two, why can't Australia have a rent freeze where instead of having rent bidding and all the different schemes going on, why can't the government allow to have a cap on on rental across Australia so that people are paying a reasonable amount and not overly priced? Eugene, uh, good questions. Uh, quick, quick response yeah. to those, Alex. Okay, so the first one, migration. So Australia, very simply, is a population Ponzi scheme. Both parties or the two major parties want to bring in lots of immigrants because it props up what's called our GDP, gross domestic product, and therefore it makes it look like the country is doing well and growing at a faster rate than it really is. If you look at the real figure of what they call GDP per capita, you'll actually see that that's mostly in decline and that Australia's standard of living continues to drop year in, year out. So to me, Immigration at a small level is a net positive, and I say that as someone who's married to an immigrant, um, but I, I, so I think it's generally positive, but it's far too much. The infrastructure can't keep up, hospitals can't keep up, so it's a disaster for Australia's standard of living. So, And survey after survey says Australians want less immigration. They're happy to have it, but less of it. So that's the, the first one, <laughs> um, but you've got to convince the two major parties that it's worth doing. Uh, the second one, rent freeze, that's one where I don't think is a very a good idea. It's a it's one that's been raised a few times and I know the Greens are behind, you know, pushing that one. But to me that destroys the free market. But it also assumes that the renter is the only one that's suffering, not the person with the, the with the, the landlord. And the reality is rents have gone up, say, fifteen percent over the last year. But if you've got a landlord and you're living in their investment property, their mortgage repayments have gone up fifty percent. And all sorts of other costs, insurance costs, maintenance costs, all those sort of things have all gone up. So both parties are suffering. So having a rent freeze would mean that the renter is potentially okay, but the landlord would suffer. And then you have defaults, you'd have people, it would be a massive disincentive for construction companies or investors to to bring on new supply if rents are going to be frozen. So I think a rental freeze would be disastrous for the economy. Eugene, Even thank you. it sounds good. Thank you, Eugene, for your insight. Uh, no more calls. Uh, time is running short, and uh, I always like to come around biblical foundations for the sorts of advice that you offer, Alex. This is an area of specialty of yours. We haven't got a lot of time to talk about that today. Uh, but listeners who are thinking, where does good wisdom on finance come from? Uh, we might be thinking we would call on God uh, and the things that we might be able to glean from a systematic study of the scriptures and uh, some of these principles that you talk about, they are coming from a biblical foundation. A lot of people are looking for financial wisdom outside of a godly foundation. But Alex, just uh, very briefly, because we don't have much time, the value of looking at biblical wisdom as a foundation for how we look at finance. Uh, how do you see that? Yeah, well, look, one of the awesome things about the Bible, and, and people often don't realize, is money is the most talked about issue in the Bible. And I think that's because God knew that we'd struggle with it, not just in a practical sense, but more just in a spiritual sense. It has a profound impact on our life. 
it has a profound impact on our relationship with God himself um, because people often, you know, fall in love with money and then and they end up serving it, serving money as, as an idol. So so God knew he'd, we'd struggle with it. And so the Bible is just chock full of wisdom on how we should think about money and how should we how we should act with money. Um, and so, you know, the principle we like to teach is, is the idea that really the money we have is God's and we are his stewards here on earth and we are called to to use it to do good you, you know i say that money is just really just a tool and obviously we've got to meet the needs of our own families and so forth but beyond that it should be a tool for doing good in fact uh, one of my favorite proverbs uh, is proverbs 11 verse 25 which i think is appropriate at this time of year when we're going into you know the end of financial year uh, and it says a generous person will prosper Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. And to me, as Christians, we're in the refreshment business. Uh, we should be going out there and trying to bless other people with their lives. You know, we're talking about on air, you before you talk about Visionathon, that's about, you know, keeping vision on air and growing it so it can reach more people. Because as you listen to a lot of the testimonies of people calling in, it's because vision is refreshing them. It's, it's actually inspiring them. It's encouraging them with their walk. And that's exactly how we should be living our lives and what we should be doing with our money is refreshing others. Um, so it's a great, great thing to do. And Bible speaks to all these issues. A big cross-section of principles to rely on. And uh, even from, you know, we love to talk about the generosity aspects and uh, there are charities that are under big demand as things tighten in the economy. Um, but also from the perspective, Alex, and uh, let me just say 60 seconds here, Alex. Hey, here we are. It's the 1st of June today. Uh, 30th of June is rolling around, end of financial year. Lots of us will be thinking about, well, it's tax time. Is this something that I need to be considering? Is there a biblical foundation around taxation and those sorts of things? Uh, it's tax time coming up. What's, what are your practical or spiritual insights there? Yeah, look, absolutely. So it's a great chance to reflect on your finances. In terms of the biblical side, I mean, the biblical side is clear. It says, give to Caesar what is Caesar. So as Christians, we need to honour God and do our taxes honestly. But I think as good stewards, you'll also minimise your tax in ways that are perfectly legal and ethical. So that's that's the principle that sits behind it. Uh, but in terms of this time of year, some great opportunities in a range of areas. So one, for example, is superannuation. Uh, there are a options available to people where they can make uh, contributions into their super and claim a tax deduction. So because we're going to only got such little time, I'd say to people just to look these things up or, or seek help, you know, whether you go and see an advisor uh, and, and learn about these things. But superannuation is a great thing to be considering at this time of year. And also any other legitimate deductions you might have uh, that you can claim and, and reduce your tax liability. Uh, so there, there are a couple of things uh, people to think about. And uh, of course, the other big one is capital gains and losses that you may have in your investment portfolio. It may be a chance to look at those and potentially, uh, you know, crystallize any losses that people realize don't probably don't realize they can carry forward those losses and offset them against future gains. So lots and lots of things you can do. Um, the more we'd have time for, obviously now, uh, but yeah, we don't now. But uh, but Alex, plan. Uh, let's uh, make a point uh, to set a date just. 
shortly before end of financial year so that we might be able to talk through some of these things more deeply. Lots of listeners will be interested in those issues where uh, you can save money and deal with integrity with uh, tax time. Uh, so we'll set a, t- a time and, uh, we'll, uh, you know, if you're available, we'll have you back and we'll, we'll spend a little extra time unpacking some of these things. But for listeners to connect directly with Alex Cook today, you can do. He is the founder of Wealth With Purpose. There is a website, wealthwithpurpose.com. And as I often will say, there is free resource there on the website, ebooks, the My Toolkit, there's free videos, there's podcast content. And even if you're wondering, these conversations we have with Alex, yes, these are available on podcast as well. You can get good, biblically sound financial wisdom uh, connecting with Alex Cook, wealthwithpurpose.com. You can follow Alex on Facebook or on Twitter. There's even an Ask Alex at wealthwithpurpose.com email that you can use as well. Alex, great getting your insights. Thanks so much for sharing them with us today on 2020. My pleasure. Thanks, Neil. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au. 